Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 59. What's old is new and what's new is old. And I don't know, there's a whole lot of stuff going on here in the world of motorsports and in sports. My name is Philip Matthew, and I'm here with my co-host, Josh Fine. What's good, brother? Yeah, I'm doing great, Phil. It's a lot of news that we got to talk about. You know, a lot of stuff happened between, you know, Formula One, IndyCar, and NASCAR. And, of course, the new debut for NASCAR's next-gen car today. So we'll talk about that later on in the show. Yeah, a lot of motorsports stuff. Uh, Josh's Jacksonville Jaguars have a franchise quarterback and a franchise running back uh, that were teammates. Uh, I'm still a 49er fan, thank God, because we drafted the guy that I wanted uh, in Trey Lance. So we'll talk about that later on. But we'll definitely start with the motorsports side of the GSP and get into the Portuguese Grand Prix at uh, Porta Mal, which saw Sir Lewis Hamilton win his 97th uh, Formula One race after winning his 92nd Formula One race a few months ago there and uh, beating his teammate Valtteri Botas, who started on pole and got past or initially and had the lead, but then was passed by both Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton during the race. Uh, Max Verstappen didn't have a pace to stick with Lewis and uh, finish second. So for the first time all season, there's a little bit of a points gap there for uh, Lewis Hamilton as they go to Catalonia and the Spanish Grand Prix this weekend. Uh, Other things that went on and the race itself, a lot of, you know, the midfield battle is always very competitive. You had Ferrari up there. You had McLaren up there with Lando Norris, who's had a great start to his season. And he continues to show progress in his third year in Formula One. Um, The results, just to go back uh, to the race on Sunday, Hamilton won by 29.1 seconds over Max Verstappen. So they cut the gap, I think, by a few seconds, I think six seconds from last uh, October. Uh, Valtteri Botas third and Sergio Perez, who was on alternate strategy, got held up by a certain person at one point, finished fourth. So Mercedes Red Bull take out the top four. Lando Norris finished fifth and Ferrari's Charles Leclerc finished sixth. The Alpine duo of Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso finished 7th and 8th. Daniel Ricciardo finished ninth after starting 16th. And Pierre Gasly finished 10th. And those were, and there's sort of Carlos Sainz was the last car on the lead lap. Uh, yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is there was one accident where, where Kimi Raikkonen was trying to make adjustments on his steering wheel coming to the end of lap one, took out the front wing and his car was undrivable at that point. Otherwise there was nothing uh, overly dramatic in regards to uh, the race itself, but the battle between Lewis, Max and Valtteri was the main piece. Uh, Valtteri gets a fastest lap again, I think there. So That's the second time in three races he's had the fastest lap, which is keeping him somewhat competitive in the points, but obviously 
you start on pole, you want to be able to win the race. And he hasn't done that. Um, he's currently behind Lando Norris in the point standings right now. So uh, what were your takeaways, Josh, on uh, Sunday's race at uh, Portimao? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, Lewis Hamilton only three away from getting his 100th victory there. So he's uh, on that pace once again, having already won two races this year. But, I mean, overall, I mean, I thought at the beginning it looked like, you know, Valtteri Botas was, you know, definitely on point. And Max Verstappen, you know, he got ahead of Lewis uh, on the initial start. And he was ahead of him for their, you know, for the most part, um, for the beginning portion of that race. Then he kind of started to fade. Lewis Hamilton passed him back. And then he set his sights on Max or on uh, Valtteri Botas there and, and ended up passing him. And then that was basically the end of Valtteri Botas's time up in the lead. And from there on, it was basically Lewis Hamilton's race. Uh, I mean, so Sergio Perez uh, led, you know, for 13 laps. And uh, I guess like it was a bit of strategy on his part. And, I, you know, he tried to see if he could make it towards the end of the race. But I mean, that wasn't really going to be possible. Uh, and I, you know, he was going to have to pit at some point and then Lewis Hamilton took the lead for the final 16 laps of the race there and won. So, um, I mean, it wasn't too dramatic of a race, but it definitely had its ebbs and flows, uh, with, uh, the race strategy between, uh, the front runners, um, a little surprised by Red Bull there with, uh, Verstappen. I mean, you know, with the pace that he had last week, thought maybe it would carry back, uh, into this week or yeah, into this race and just wasn't there for him. I mean, still finished second, but thought there would have been a little bit more pace there to challenge for the lead, but ultimately uh, that did not happen. Uh, and maybe they could have pulled off some strategy move like his teammate did, but ultimately, you know, Lewis Hamilton ends up winning the race. Um, maybe Sergio Perez would have had a little bit so something different for him had it not been for a certain uh, Haas car uh, during the race. And we'll get to that in a minute, but I mean, overall um, is a, you know, decent, uh, race and you know Lewis Hamilton again three away from 100 so I guess uh, they'll continue to talk about that uh, throughout the year um, and count that down I guess but a uh, good race overall yeah I think for the track you're able to overtake I mean I think Fernando Alonso showed that Daniel Ricardo showed that so in the sense of the battle behind obviously the big three there was stuff to see I mean, even Mick Schumacher made an overtake, which is amazing in a Putin Haas. Uh, I mean, George Russell lapped a certain Putin Haas. Uh, I mean, there you can overtake there, and it's a good track, and I hope that they'll stay there um, as they continue to keep on growing this calendar to whatever it's going to be. It's a good challenge. It, it kind of gives you a little bit of everything. You have the long straights, hard breaking zones. You have sweeping corners. You have little tight corners. You have low, medium, high speed. You have elevation changes. Uh, it's what a racetrack is really supposed to be about. And um, hopefully they'll stay there. That's a good track. And Lewis Hamilton, I'm, I mean, I don't mind any track that uh, Lewis Hamilton can win at, but then that's like virtually every track. So he's won two out of two so far and we'll see he's not the best at Catalonia he's uh, had his fair share of uh, interesting results there um, he has one there of course but the fact is it's not one of his better racetracks Max Verstappen won his first career race there so it's a possibility um, Red Bull can answer back here he's eight points back in the points championship now after 
the race at Portimao. Um, and, uh, you know, same amount of podium, same amount of poles, but the difference is the win and uh, the fastest lap, basically, at uh, at Imola. Or, right? Yeah, I think the Imola fastest lap is the difference, really. And the and this past weekend's win there. So um, I'm going to go all the way to the wire this year. It's going to be a tight battle, which I think is going to make it much more interesting uh, as the season goes on. Yeah, we we're going to mention Egghead. Uh, he figures out a way to make himself a part of the story every week in uh, Formula One. And this past weekend was no different. Uh, ignoring blue flags, holding up Sergio Perez when he was trying to make a gap to give himself some sort of a semblance of a chance to get on the podium. Uh, I mean, we've talked about driver standards. We talk about it with guys like Quinn Hoff and some of the other cellar dwellers that exist in in america in some of the nascar or indycar like marco you know like you know they people like that but this this egghead uh he literally seems like he has no clue um it seems as though he has no awareness whatsoever like and that's a, a common theme i think about these guys that really suck um and are just ride buyers and have no business being there like they do not know how to use their mirrors and they, they just are in the way. And I mean, he got lapped by George Russell, whose car was just dog crap in the race. He got lapped by George Russell um, in a Williams and your teammate was making overtakes on the other Williams. I mean, what, what the, I mean, what, what are we doing here? I mean, I was thinking about this. They're showing the formula three preview and Logan Sargent almost won the championship. And now he doesn't even have a job in any of the, top in formula two formula three doesn't have a junior ride anything putin haas employs this piece of trash they could have put that money into logan Sargent, and he could be in an f2 car right now and possibly be in an f1 car next year uh, i mean what what is the end game here i like that's my thing it's like th- this isn't going to end well he's going to take somebody off at some point this year and he's going to get punched in the face like Nelson PK punched LSAO salad bar or, you know, when uh, Senna punched Eddie Irvine at Japan in 93, like there's going to be an assault at some point to Nikita Marzipan because he is literally one of the shittiest drivers and one of the shittiest people that's ever ended up in a motorsports grid ever. Um, He's, he's literally LCD. He's like, He's like the Formula One version of the insurrection. I mean, that's that's literally what he is. He's just a total bum. And and he's going to hurt somebody the way he drives, honestly. I don't know. But you have anything more to add on that, Josh? I mean, it was a great word there. I mean, that was a, a excellent points that you've made. But, you know, I go back to some of the moments in NASCAR where people were really slow. And I don't remember which race it was, but... I think it was a 2012. There is a clip of Jeff Gordon driving by the 33 car. I think it was driven by Stephen light. And it was like, Oh, well, the 33 is down a cylinder. They radioed him. And he was like, well, no, I think the 33 is down a driver. And that's what I think of when you think of uh, uh, this Mazpin guy. I mean, he's a, I don't know. I mean, he's just super slow. Like I didn't think it would be that bad. I mean, considering how the Haas car is, but I mean, he's slower than the car itself. So it's just terrible. And 
I mean, at some point, I think they're going to have to rethink this and, and get rid of him. So we'll have to see what ends up happening here. But this is a, what an interesting uh, storyline and makes us have to cover it, I guess. But so I guess maybe that's the end game for him. But I mean, he's just really terrible. Yeah. When you're getting smoked by your teammate by like a lap every race or like 50 seconds or whatever, the gaps that Mick has had on, on Egghead so far in three races is just unbelievable. Uh, it's, and to me, you know, I mean, what are we doing here? I mean, I get it. It's formula one. They go to places where there's, you know, they, they, they go and murder people, you know, dictatorship countries and all that. So then you have a dictator, you have Putin's Putin's uh, illegitimate son driving one of the cars. I mean, it, it's like, where, where, what, what's, I mean, I guess Gene wants to get rid of the team because his cup team sucks. So now he doesn't want to have an F1 team and a cup team that sucks. So he's just going to get rid of the formula one team to the Russian billionaire. But I mean, you, you're, you're, you're supposed to be the pinnacle of motorsports and you, you put him in a car. I mean, he's, he's literally one of the worst drivers I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and, you know, people say, Oh, you go and be in their shoes, you know, like think about what they're doing, whatever I could drive better than him. And I'm 36. I'm overweight. I'm on different stuff. I go and drink and I bowl two times a week. I could drive better than Nikita Marzipan and I know. And there are American drivers that could drive better than him that don't have a job and don't have a dime running. Uh, you know, there's two guys that are Americans that are in Formula Three. Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit with their formula, their season starting this weekend. But, you know, you have Logan Sargent sitting there. He almost won the F3 championship last year. I'd rather you put him in the freaking car. They'll say, oh, he doesn't have uh, super license points. How the hell does this guy have super license points? Colton heard a... I mean, Mario Andretti said, I'm no Colton Herta fan, but it's like, how the hell does that Russian guy have more super license points than Colton Herta or Pato Award, who we'll talk about? Or, you know, those are, there's guys on the IndyCar grid that belong way more than, uh, than freaking this guy. Um, you know, and then there's other guys that are just out there mailing it in too, uh, you know, like Sebastian Vettel. Uh, you know, like he's just basically cashing checks right now. I mean, their car sucks, uh, the the Aston Martin, but uh, they, they're just not good. And the, the end game for them is probably they're going to bend this season early so that they can compete in 22 because their car is not good and they don't really have a strong lineup. I mean, they already weren't with a strong driver lineup when you consider that Lance Stroll's one of the drivers, but the having a Sebastian Vettel who doesn't give a crap anymore is not great either. It's kind of like having Mansell at the bitter end of his career, or some of these older guys who had their time and they were washed up. Uh, you know, that's kind of what that is. I mean, I think the we'll we'll get into it in the previews more, but we'll think about the midfield and kind of who's going to stand out there and who can kind of sneak up because it's widening out. Um, McLaren really is kind of, they kind of look like they had pace to compete with uh, Red Bull and Mercedes, but that really isn't the case. Um, McLaren's kind of falling back into the midfield and Ferrari's coming back up. So in its own right, there's probably a three-tiered deal now, um, or maybe four tiers 
for that matter, within the grid, which we will get into later on as we uh, preview one of the most boring Grand Prix that exists every single year. But because there's two Spanish drivers, it makes sense that they actually go there. But there are so many better tracks in Spain that they could go to than Catalonia. We'll go to another track that is one of the worst racetracks on the face of the planet, which is Texas Motor Speedway. Um, our podcast name was in the news the whole weekend. Uh, it definitely played a part in what happened during both races. Uh, basically made it a one-groove racetrack. Uh, if you literally got in the grip strip or whatever the residue was, the residue of the grip strip with a Firestone tire and an Indy car, uh, you're taking off like uh, you're on marbles and you're going to hit the fence uh, like uh, Winge Power did on uh, Sunday, I think, one of, one of those days, you know. And so the IndyCars, Texas, I mean, I get Goosage promotes it. I get that they put money into it. They draw a meager crowd, but it's literally one of the worst racetracks on the face of planet Earth. It always has been. And I, the only reason Texas was considered a great thing was when they had those pack races where people were on the edge and were literally a millimeter or centimeter or inches away from dying. Uh, you know, you can think about all these crazy wrecks they had there. Davey Hamilton mangled his feet. You had Kenny Breck get seriously hurt there. Ryan, oh no, Ryan Briscoe, that was Chicago. Um, you know, there, there was the wrecks at Texas. Uh, huge wrecks, and that's really what it was about. And you know, have Sam Hornish Jr. racing against like Elio Castroneves side by side, or whatever. Like that's what everybody remembers. We will remember Graham Rahal putting his fist up in the air too early, like an idiot, because he is one, and almost giving away the race to Hinch, who did give the race away himself, but uh, a few years ago. And now you just have basically a single file parade, which is you know typical of anything that's at Texas which is why they need to have six stages and uh, tilt a world and a circus sideshow clown and somebody to get stuck up the butt to go and make an all-star race. Cause that track is so bad. Um, Dixon wins on Saturday and Pato award finally wins his first career IndyCar race on Sunday, a good precursor for what could be a big month of May for Pato uh, for McLaren, Spam, uh, this whole organization, he's going to get a test at the Abu Dhabi uh, young driver test at the end of the year. Uh, Zach Brown promised him that, so that'll be cool. Um, I guess we'll just look at it as a whole. I'll bring up the results, but I'll let you go and uh, say what you're thinking about what we experience these two days at Texas Motor Speedway with the Indy cars. Just glad they didn't destroy a whole lot of equipment considering how busy they're going to be here these next few weeks. Yeah, right. With the first race on Saturday, I mean, Scott Dixon completely dominated that one. That was basically another Scott Dixon benefit, as like we like to say. But the race on Saturday, I mean, it was basically him all day. And then we had the wreck with uh, Hinch crashing, and then Sebastian Bourdais also crashed. And I think the, the hinge crash was basically him trying to pass uh, around, uh, you know, he was trying to make a pass on the outside and then he got past and then lost it and then bend it into the wall and 
that was a quite you know part of the um the width of the groove i guess with uh this pj1 which is not even there they remove it for the indycar race but the the stain is there and causes it plays a factor in the firestone tires not being able to rip the, uh, the racetrack and you know they have to do it because they're coexisting with nascar and nascar needs the pj1 for whatever reason and then uh the indy cars don't need it so now it disaffects the indy car guys a, a whole lot and they're not able to put on a good show so it's just not a, a good thing and since the the repave i mean there was only one good texas race i guess that you could say that was good was the, the first one after repave when it was basically a pack race all night with uh uh 2017 there and I remember, you know, that they had the big one with Tony Kanon and the James Hinchcliffe. Oh, that's adorable quote. Uh, from yeah. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I mean, since then, it, it hasn't been great. And I mean, before that repave, it was pretty good. I, I think you could say it was pretty good. I mean, the uh, finish with Hinchcliffe and Graham Mary Hall side by side for the win there in 2016. And then fast forward to this. Well, I mean, on Saturday, it was, you know, again, Scott Dixon. Uh, domination and it was looking like that on Sunday but then uh the fuel strategy kind of came into play with uh uh Dixon burning up uh, more fuel and then you had a uh, award and some of the other Chevys that were getting a little bit better fuel mileage and then end, at the end it ended up being uh Pato Awards win there at uh Texas but I mean overall like just uh the inability of these cars to race side by side you know due to the PJ1 patch I mean, th that should be unacceptable. And I mean, even then and before the PJ one, I mean, one of the reasons I think that we see bad racing at Texas and really, a, you know, for all series in general right now with uh, oval racing in NASCAR and in any car, it's, you know, some of the tracks is the asphalt surface itself is that, you know, at Texas, uh, Charlotte, um, Michigan, maybe even like Pocono or uh, some of these other tracks have been repaved since uh, 2010. And you throw in Talladega and Daytona. Um, it seems like the the track never wears out. It you know looks like it's always fresh. And the reason I think it is because of the I guess the mixture, the polymer mixture that they use to make the asphalt. And it seems like it doesn't uh, match well with uh, the uh, the tires. And there was a there's a thread on Twitter uh, a few days ago, and somebody I guess like a vehicle dynamics engineer in NASCAR was talking about how the surface like. There's like a, uh, a fine line, I guess, like, you know, the, the more rougher a surface is easier for the tire to wear out the shed temperature. And then on the, on the other side, you have a, a track where the asphalt's too fine. It's too smooth. Well, the, uh, the tire is never able to uh, shed grip. It's never able to uh, lose temperature throughout uh, the course of a run. So the whole time it stays hot. And then that's why uh, these tire manufacturers, whether it's Goodyear or Firestone, uh, they have to make these hard tires, which then turns into uh, terrible racing because they need to, in order for the tires to be able to last for a fuel run, they have to make them really hard or, or else the tire is going to end up blowing out too soon. And it's not going to you know, be good for the driver, obviously, They'll get in a crash, get hurt or whatever. And that's why they have to do this. So, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to basically, a, I mean, to borrow from the joke there uh, that this guy posted, it was a, it was a, surface level problem and that's what it is it is uh tire not matching well with the asphalt so um i mean there was a, a thread on indycar reddit where they're saying oh what do we need to do about pj1 well i mean 
they basically have to repave the corners at the very least. I mean, it doesn't exist on the straights, so maybe they can get away with repaving the corners and maybe they'll use a different surface for that. So um, just a lot of uh, mismatch between the surface and the tire, and that's what's causing this issue with IndyCar's uh, tire and with uh, the PJ1 and also exists in NASCAR. So, I mean, overall, that's just the problem, and they've got to come together and figure out a way to fix it. Yeah, and when you consider that, you know, Goosage and Roger Penske, oh, they've been in business and they've done stuff together for years, and they had this happen last June during the IndyCar opener, and they've had tests there. And you would have thought that by now they could have came up with a solution. They didn't. Uh, you know, the aero package, I can't say. we're not. I'm not going to define what this aero package really means until they get to Indy. There's really only, I mean, there's only two oval races that matter on the schedule, and that's the only two ovals that are left on the schedule now uh, this year, which is the Indianapolis 500 and Gateway. They're the only two that draw. Uh, they're the only two that are that matter right now. There are plenty of tracks I would think that would be an idea if they would actually give it three to five years and actually promote them instead of expecting one person to do all the work. Uh, when you're in a when you're not even getting a point five rating or whatever the hell they get, you know, for any of these races, I don't think you should be in the business of bidding race venues or getting away from places. Uh, you know, when especially when you have craptacular races like the ones he had this weekend, when you have Scott Dixon basically lead all but six laps on Saturday, like it was a Formula One race. Um, what people say Formula One is, I mean, it definitely there was more lead changes in the in the Formula One race than there was in the freaking IndyCar race. I mean, you know the and you in it and I mean credit to Scott Dixon for being as great as he is. Um, and just destroying. And Alex Pillow had the pole, led the first six laps, and then after that, Dixon led the rest of the way. And even there were cautions. So it's not even like there wasn't anything there, you know, like uh, as you mentioned about Bourdais getting uh, getting a bump from New Garden, uh, wrecking. So it was unfortunate there for him, considering it's a home game for his owner. And Hinch, of course, wiping out to continue his stellar start to the year. Colton Herta goes from winning uh, last race at uh, St. Pete to not even being able to finish. So two out of three races to start the year have just been atrocious for Colton Herta. Uh, he's going to need to do probably get the win at Indy, put himself anywhere near uh, points uh, relevancy right now. He's Colton Herta is now 48 points behind Scott Dixon already. Uh, I mean, Alex Pillow's second right now, 18 points back. Will Power, Pato Award. There's a, there's, what is it? Uh, from third to Colton Herta in 10th is 11 points. And then if you go and make it so 14 points between third and 11th. So, I mean, there's a big battle there amongst guys who have all the guys that have won this year. Um, including Pato Award, who has two podiums because he got podiums on um, both nights at Texas. He got a third there on Saturday. Uh, Green Rehal got a top five, New Garden top 10, RV Rossi, Sato Pagano, uh, Antoine Canan, 
uh, started tailback, but finished 11th. There's some other people there. Will Power fell like a rock. Um, Erickson, VK, Colton, or I said mentioned earlier. And then on Sunday, Pato Award, a little bit more competitive race, more balanced. But of course, as uh, Josh said, you know, Dixon led the most laps, uh, but he didn't have it there late. Uh, Pato Award was able to make those passes, make things work, and uh, get past Joseph Newgarden and Graham Ray Hall gets another top five, gets a third place finish. So Harlan's dad gets a podium there. Um, he's been feeling a lot better about these ovals and the oval setup they have, which I think at the end of the day for him, it's all aimed at one thing to go and join his father as an Indianapolis 500 champion, uh, you know, because his teammate just won the race last year and he finished third in that race. And I think if he'd had about 10 more laps or if he'd timed it a little better, he might have had a chance to win that deal last August. So um, Ray Hall Letterman uh, has a competitive car uh, package for these ovals, big ovals. They'll have root beer float head driving the third car um, at uh, the 500. Colton Hurd recovered after a terrible finish on Saturday with a fifth on Sunday. Pagano Polo McLaughlin after his first career podium on Saturday finished eighth. Renus VK recovered for ninth. And Ryan Hunter Ray finished 10th. A lot of uh, uh, carnage, mainly on the start. There was a six car crash, which saw Connor Daly up, land up on his lid. A lot of the uh, ride buyers, like Kellett and Ned Jones. And then you had Pietro Fittipaldi uh, making his return Indy cars, driving the Dale Coyne special, uh, got wrecked in that one. Rossi and Bourdais, of course, after his. A rough, rough issue, uh, crash there on Saturday gets wrecked again on Sunday. Uh, so, I mean, Alexander Rossi couldn't buy luck if his life depended on it, kind of like Ryan Hunter Ray. And then Bordet wrecks two cars. Um, Hinch, I mean, good grief. I don't know what's going on. He's got the, he's got the cartoon anvil Marco Andretti car this year. Uh, he's literally the drizzling shits. Uh, he's going to need a great month of May to really put anything together. I mean, it is season championships over, but you like, he hasn't shown pace at all at any time this season. I mean, at least Colton Herta has at least Alexander Rossi has. I mean, I think there's been faint glimpses of even Hunter Ray, but the 29 car has been garbage. Um, you know, and they announced that uh, Stefan Wilson will be driving I think the fifth or the sixth car. I don't know how many cars they have anymore. They have so many damn cars on Andretti. Um, you'll be driving an extra car uh, for the Indianapolis 500, the new sponsor there. So we'll see if Stefan Wilson can go and make the show. Um, that'll be a fast car no matter what. Andretti usually comes through with that. Um, yeah, and we mentioned the points. Dixon has uh, the lead. He's led nearly... He's 370 lap, 369, 69. And then he has, um, nice. I mean, he's got, um, you know, it just had to happen. The, and uh, he's, uh, yeah, I mean, he's tied with willpower for most laps completed so far this year. And, um, 3.3 average. So you got, I mean, the more things are new, the more they stay the same. You have Lewis Hamilton, Scott Dixon leading the points. 
and winning and dominating races. So that is how things are for the Indy cars. The next time we'll see them will be in a, not this week, but the following week uh, for the Indy Grand Prix. And I mean, I think we'll talk about this in regards to the ovals or whatever, but I believe, you know, there are options. There are places that they could go if they really wanted to, if they really wanted to put the work in, um, especially here in the Northeast, if they really wanted to have ovals on the schedule, but I don't think they do, or they're not trying to. And an IndyCar was made with short ovals, likes of Michigan International Speedway, which only has one cup race right now. So why wouldn't you go there? ACS, which is going to become a short track. That's probably an idea. You know, you have Pocono, which I don't care what people say. It's an IndyCar racetrack, and it's it, it's safe enough to be an IndyCar racetrack. It's if people who want to drive like an idiot and do stupid stuff, then, yeah, you're going to have the danger and you're going to have the awful things that have happened, awful crashes that have happened um, in recent years, uh, which, I mean, we'll mention, I guess, I, on a flip side to that is what um, Robert Wickens, who of course was um, seriously injured at Pocono, was just got back into a race car for the first time since then, uh, yesterday, today, whatever, for Brian Herta in a touring car um, with hand controls at Mid-Ohio. So that was a beautiful thing to see. Um, he hasn't lost anything in regards to pace. Uh, an ability to drive in the wet, that's for sure. And hopefully that progress will continue and Robbie can um, eventually get back in the seat and drive a little bit more often. We get we get him back where he truly belongs in the driver's seat and instead of just being a coach and a mentor for Arrow Spam. Um, I mean, I don't know what other ovals you, I mean, Richmond's another one. They They tried it. They didn't even get a chance because of pandemic. Um, I think because of how bad it is for Cup, I think Richmond, Iowa, they let Iowa basically close up. Penske's got billions of dollars going by the freaking track. You know, like going by the track, book it out, make some changes to it, make it an IndyCar venue, go and call NASCAR back for Xfinity and, and trucks. Homestead, you know, too. Oh, Homestead's another one. Yeah. Homestead would be, I don't care how rough it is run they'll run low anyways and it's not as rough on the low side as it is on the top side so they never ran the fence so you're up in the first two or two lanes or three lanes at most so they could run homestead with these cars it would be outstanding and it would just be like a cheese grater it'd actually be a good proper um challenge uh there's so I mean, there are options there. I know the logistics of it and trying to get all these things in order, but I don't understand why it has to be this difficult and why Texas is the option that they have to always go to as though that's the only thing they can go to. And it's literally one of the shittiest places on earth. Um, I mean, we will see, and we'll see when they have the all-star race, how bad it is. I mean, even Dale Jr. hates it. So you know when Dale Jr. is crapping on it, it's not going to work out well. And he's friends with all everybody. So, uh, and grip strip can't work if your if your tires don't work in it. Uh, we'll change from IndyCar nonsense and Formula One 
a typical Formula One to uh, Kyle Busch going and getting a double. Uh, not unusual, though, over the past year or so, it seems like it is unusual. And he won the cup race. I probably he had a good car, but not the best car. Uh, Kyle, another Kyle had the best car and should have won the race. Uh, Brad Keselowski had a chance to win two in a row there and made a block because of the stupid BAS and the 550 package and basically gave it just a whole line um, and uh, helped old Kyle get that one. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the race itself, to me, I mean, it was straightforward. It was Kyle Larson. He did the work. He got there. He probably should have won, and they they freaking gave that thing away uh, on with the pit strategy. Uh, he led the most laps. He led nine times for under thirty two laps. He won the one stage. Uh, Kyle Busch won the other. He only led twenty laps though. Uh, he wasn't the 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 five and the two were were the two best cars really i mean even though richard had a car up there i think go richard was trying to run and put himself in position with fuel mileage or, or whatever with alternative strategy which we'll get into in a minute but yeah kyle bush has a win so uh now people can shut up i guess about oh man kyle bush is falling apart first win for him and ben bayshore as a combination and uh, he'll get to go and R&D stuff this month at a couple of tracks. Now they're going to practice here uh, at Coda and at the 600. So he might be able to get on a little bit of a run here and get back to being Kyle Busch. Yeah, I mean, it was also his birthday, too. So he was able to win on his birthday once again, which he's done one other time in his career. But for Kyle Busch, I mean, this is his first win. So, yeah, maybe he does go on a run. We'll have to see. But Kyle Larson seemed to be the best car on Sunday at Kansas. But then, uh, you know, he started in 38th or 32nd and made his way up into the lead by the end of the stage, although he did not win that stage. And Kyle Busch uh, ended up winning that stage. So maybe that should have been. I mean, I guess it was a, a, a foreshadowing what was to come later on in the race, if you think about it. And, you know, at the end of that first stage, like uh, Larson didn't have the lead and ended up fading to Kyle Busch, which makes you think like uh, with that car, like, cause they've used it at Las Vegas and they've used it uh, at Atlanta. It seems like maybe at the end of the run, it starts to fade away. And if you have another car that's close behind, uh, he's going to have a little bit harder time uh, defending his position there. But uh, Larson should have won. I agree with that. And uh, at the end uh, just ended up not uh, using the right pit strategy. So I think if they would have done what Brad Keselowski had done and gotten tires, I think they would have worked their way back into the lead. But, you know, of course, you know, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, he could have gotten taken out after that, could have had a, a bad restart or a you know, poor lane choice or something like that. So it's another story for Larson of what could have been for him. Cause I mean, definitely should have won probably two other races this season, this race and, and Atlanta. And, you know, he would definitely be in the, uh, the lead right now in the points and in the playoff standings with uh, what should have been three wins there for Kyle Larson. But uh, in the end of the day, uh, ends up not winning. You know, he gets into Ryan Blaney in the middle of uh, turn one and two, 
on the last restart. And I, you know, I think he was just trying to get him a push to get out ahead so he could maybe dive low and uh, go for the lead uh, on that last restart, but uh, did not work out for him. And Kyle Busch ends up winning the race. So for that, uh, we now have uh, nine drivers who have won in the playoffs and are 10 now. So it's getting, getting tighter for the point standings for sure. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we'll see if we end up getting to 16, but, you know, we still have a uh, terrible racing at these levels, like at Kansas, you know, we talked about the, the big spoiler at 550. I mean, you know, it's a, it seems like at this race, like it wasn't that great, but in the past, it seems like they've been able to at least race close to each other under this uh, formula. So we'll have to see if that changes or not on uh, next year uh, with this gen seven car that they just debuted today. And we'll talk about in a minute. I mean, this, this is a, I don't know. I don't really, I mean, we've talked about it for, you know, since the beginning of this podcast started about how this spoiler behaves and how the 550 rules package behaves. And you know, I'm looking forward to when uh, we don't have to talk about that anymore because it, it just seems like you can never get a pass or you can never get a run to make a pass. And it takes a lot of momentum to get under a car uh, to get side-by-side uh, -side with a car you have to have a car like Kyle Larson, where he was able to be so good to drive through the field. Of course, when you get up to the front, it gets a little bit harder. But I mean, I don't know what you have to say about this race in general. But I mean, we'll we'll talk about that. But I mean, just this race is uh, really bad in terms of passing. But you know, at the end of the day, Kyle Larson gives away the win, and uh, Kyle Busch wins on his birthday. Yeah, and it, for when you consider what. Uh, Kyle and Samantha are going through with their situation personally uh, for him to come through and get a double uh, is a pretty big deal. Uh, he's kind of uh, changed. Like you can kind of tell uh, even with the struggles, I think that might be part of it too. But of course the personal uh, challenges that they've had together also not only in trying to have children, but you know, their own like marriage difficulties and all that. Um, Kyle's changed a lot, and he's become a lot more, um, I think, reserved and guarded, but at the same time, I think, more focused. And you know he's never going to go away. The guy's one of the best there's ever been. Uh, and when he figures it out, he's he's going to be really, really tough. And it's, it's the same thing here for Larson, in a sense, but, of course, nowhere near the stats and all the stuff. That team with Cliff Daniels, Cliff Daniels, was Jimmy Johnson's crew chief for the last year and a half of his career or whatever the hell it was, the last couple of years of his career, and they barely sniffed the chance of victory lane. I think that Phoenix race, if they had allowed him to actually race, he might have won his final race, honestly. Uh, that was one of the only times where that Darlington, when they came back from pandemic, that was a car. After that, I think maybe you can name it on one hand, still on one hand, number of times that Cliff Daniels ever gave Jimmy Johnson a car they could win with, and his guys won 83 races and seven championships. Uh, Kyle Larson this year has had chances to win uh, on a regular basis, mostly at the cookie cutters. Uh, the point you made, Josh, about him fading late is a trend now. I mean, he's had the trend of not being able to close anyway, but the difference is now he drives for Hendrick Motorsports. Um, Fading at Ganassi doesn't really matter all that much in a cup car. Uh, but when you're driving a basically unsponsored car for Hendrick Motorsports, 
Uh, you have Will Byron knocking off top tens like crazy now. Uh, you have Bowman backed into a win. Uh, Clyde hasn't won yet, and he hasn't really gotten in his stride. I mean, at what point, you know, Larson has to be able to come through. Maybe he saves it to, for the for the playoff. Maybe he comes through there. I mean, some of the stuff is out of his own power. You know, he got wrecked on that restart in the dirt race when he probably would have won that race. It would have been him or Chris Bell or somebody like that. They, one of them would have probably won that race. But, you know, there there's other things like that. Talladega, tape them off solid and blow the thing up or whatever the hell stupidity happened there. But got to close. And, and the way things are with how many different winners, and the points are kind of being spread around. Every point's really going to count, especially in playoff positioning, trying to get bonus points. Uh, you know, Danny Hamlin's going to get the regular season title more than likely. So that's not the issue. Uh, but there's other bonus points available. So you want to be able to get every point you can get. And giving Kyle Busch. Um, any momentum, any chance to get a get a run going is not a good move if you're anybody else within that points battle. Um, yeah, the 550 rules package, when you consider that the all-star race is going to have an even less horsepower, uh, but probably with a BAS, I mean, I mean, Junior said it on his Ask Junior thing, take the... The, I mean, he talked about it in regards to, I think, this the, the all-star race and then might have mentioned relative to the Gen 7, next gen, whatever, uh, where you need to get the front end, whatever, whether it's a front valence or a splitter or whatever, and match it up with the rear spoiler, and you need to figure out, and then the tires. Those are the three main things. If you can't get a tire that can go and stick or works, into the racetrack or will go and give you the kind of response that you need. And then, which is kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the Indy cars, um, which it isn't their fault uh, because at least IndyCar is legitimate and they try to make real racing. It's not a gimmick. They don't do any of this stuff. They don't put all kinds of stuff on the back of the car. I mean, they could have put like a Hanford device on the, on the Indy car, but then somebody else probably get hurt. Um, they try, and Firestone actually makes a really good product. So it's not them. It's the racetrack. Um, and Goosage will blame anything and everything but himself for his stupidity. So, like, in the regards to this deal, like, you need to have this 8-inch spoiler. You can't even see through the back of it. You have a splitter. The car sealed off to the ground. So they go, and they go wide open. I mean, what the hell do you think is going to happen? It's slot car racing. I mean, that's literally what it is. There's no, I mean, you. the only thing that's going to happen is you have these restarts and you have to go and bang the wall. You have Tyler Reddick going to run in the fence and he gets the fourth. Like this is, it might be at least the third or fourth time I can think of in Tyler Reddick's cup career so far where he's had one of the fastest race cars. He gets to like third or fourth and then just stops because he can't go anywhere. Like how the hell is that possible? He's running the fence. He's literally... A millimeter off the fence, he hit it a couple times. Whatever for him, that's pretty good. And 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 he's faster. I mean, granted, the five and the eighteen were fast, but he was running a fence, couldn't pass nobody. Like what kind of nonsense? I mean, that's not racing. That's just bullshit. And you're you're just and that's why. And you have Kansas as a playoff race. 
two. You know, like that that's what makes it even worse. And, you know, they don't make a good tire. Like make a tire that wears out at least. So then there has to be some semblance of like getting off the gas and kind of strategy. You make a rock hard tire with a car that you can drive wide open for three quarters of a of a fuel run. I mean, what the hell do you think's gonna happen? I mean, it's but it's NASCAR. And speaking of NASCAR and consistently inconsistent and selective enforcement, that was a big real other big story of Sunday's race was the manipulation of basically the last couple of runs, their last major run of the race when Tyler Reddick's uh, speaking of him, loose wheel uh, on pit road, tire goes and rolls all the way out into the grass. Now, in certain areas, in certain races, they would have thrown the yellow the minute that thing was on the pit road, put it out, put it out. In other cases, they just let it go and they'd let a pit road member for years, they've let a pit road member go and get it, which there's nothing wrong with that, honestly. Um, if they're they that would have probably made more sense uh, than what they did, or they could do what they did on Sunday, which is you had Chris Busher and Ricky Stenhouse both on the cusp on the like the playoff bubble area, trying to make the playoffs, trying to give themselves an opportunity, and doing what for decades was a great way of possibly going and getting that caution, making the right strategy. You had Luke Lambert putting himself out there trying to get his car in um, busher to a caution so he can get the lead get track position who knows what would have happened he might have ended up on a rollback but the fact of the matter is give yourself that chance that's why the crew chiefs get paid the big bucks but instead nascar goes and lets them run i think 10 15 i don't know how many laps it seemed like a lot of laps after this tire rolled away and then goes and throws a yellow after everybody pits like what the fuck? I mean, what 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 are we doing? Uh, I know they want WWE like things, yeah, but if it, it, it in Elton, they sent and Elton Sawyer this time to go and speak about this instead of Scott Miller because he's so bad at it. And it's like Elton Sawyer wanted to say, "Well, we didn't think it was a danger." So then, if it wasn't a danger, then why did you throw the caution then? We wanted to let the race run organically and let the people have their pit. No, the point is Luke Lambert and Brian Paddy were waiting on a yellow to get track position and put a bunch of people lap down, get themselves four tires, put themselves in a position to possibly get a top five or a top 10 or whatever out of it. I mean, I mean, Busher did anyway, but that was, he had a decent car actually for once. Uh, but I mean, what, they wonder why people uh, rag on the sport and they wonder why they have credibility issues. I mean, the credibility when you consider certain drivers and, you know, backs, like there's other aspects of their credibility or lack thereof that exist. But um, when you, with that, that call and that decision or how they went about that was uh, mind numbing to me, Josh. And um, I don't know about you, but it's, it's a wonder they that they think that they they have a fan pro like they think they're bringing in good fans or bringing good people. They're bringing in people that really have to be the dumbest fucks on the face of the planet Earth if they think that 
doing what they did there was okay. It was safe for 20 laps when it was sitting out in the grass, but then 20 laps later when everybody pitted, oh, no, 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 we need to throw a caution. Yeah, I didn't really understand that one, and really, I, I think that has to be, like, one of the most bizarre, like, moments in the history of the sport, to be honest with you, because I don't think we've, I mean, I think it's, you know, we've never seen anything where the tire was just sitting there out in the grass and not doing anything and where, you know, they didn't throw a caution, like when it rolled out there, because normally when that happens, they, you know, maybe they wait a lap or two and then they'll, they'll throw the yellow, but, but here they basically waited uh, until Chris Buescher had the pit and it was basically a game of chicken for uh, Chris Buescher and for NASCAR, like which one's going to happen first, they throw the caution or he's going to pit and then they throw the caution. Well, pitted and then they threw the caution and i really changed the complexion of the race there because if you think about it like kyle larson got back into the lead um after chris busher pitted and then once that yellow happened uh that's when the race for him started to fall apart and then you know danny hamlin had a chance and then he hit the wall and then uh all the craziness after that happened but we've just never seen that before and I mean to be honest like they should have just left it green uh until the end like, I mean, if they were already going to uh, leave it out for that many laps, they should just let it sit there for the rest of the race until a caution naturally happened, if anything. And then they could have gone out there and picked it up. But they just let it sit there, and then they threw the yellow anyways. So I, I really don't understand that one. And I uh, just have to, uh, you know, somebody has to give an explanation of why they they did that. And I mean, I, I know they did. It was like, oh, well, you know, safety and whatever. But it doesn't matter. It it just doesn't matter. And I mean, this wouldn't be acceptable in any car. This would not be acceptable in Formula One. I mean, if, if this happened in Formula One, we, I mean, it would be like a, a controversy for several weeks, probably, or at least until the next race. So in, in this instance, I mean, in NASCAR, it's not surprising. I mean, it shows they're manipulating the race once again. I mean, they've been guilty of it for several years. And I mean, it, they just continue to to do this and it hurts like you said it hurts their credibility it hurts their ability to take other you know motorsports fans and you know take them seriously because now you know when a formula one fan watches that you know they don't take it seriously they think it's a clown show and it is um it, it shouldn't be like that and i think you know for me like if i was a driver like i would be pissed about it and, you know if i was a crew member i'd be mad about it i mean for one thing if if there was an accident and a car spun and hit that tire, that's a projectile. And then another thing, uh, if, if it sits there, I mean, it, it's not hurting anybody sitting there. And I doubt that any accident would have happened, but it, you know, if it, if it did happen, then obviously it would have been big. So it was just a, a lack of credibility. I mean, you either have to throw it immediately or you don't do it at all. And then they, they chose to be hesitant about it and then uh, ends up, not being good for everybody so a uh, really bad decision on their part and you know, hopefully in the it doesn't happen again and they learn from it i guess because uh like i said before it's just really bizarre to just see a tire just sitting there for several laps and just not them you know not see anybody doing anything about it and not the caution until they decided to and I mean, I reference uh, there, you know, the Alex Zanardi finish at Laguna Seca in 1996. I mean, there was cars sitting out like basically on the uh, access roads, I guess, like 
below the racing surface. I mean, they're cars that had been, you know, out of the race for several laps and they never threw a yellow for that. I mean, going back to, uh, I forget what race it was at Montreal, Robbie Gordon ran out of gas, like within the last couple of laps and then parked his car, uh, like in the gravel trap or something. And they never threw a caution for that. So, I mean, if those weren't risks, then I mean, why does the tire have to be a risk, uh, or, you know, not be a risk or whatever. I mean, they pick, pick one direction and, and stick with it. So, I, I mean, I just, it's unbelievable that they just let a tire sit there and, and then, uh, decide to do something about it. Yeah. But that's why they're consistently inconsistent and their hashtag consistently inconsistent and hashtag selective enforcement. I've said it on talking in circles for the last couple of years since I started on there with Clayton and Spencer, uh, or Clayton. And then with Spencer and I joining, um, I've said it anywhere. It can be on Facebook where Josh and I would be on the pages. I mean, it's, it's idiotic. Uh, and I, like I, one of the things I came up with was like, what the hell are they going to do about track limits at Coda? What are they going to do about that? With, with the amount of runoff they have there, are they going to put turtles everywhere? Are they going to put like shock? Are they going to put shock collars on them if they go run off on turn 17 or 18, whatever the hell the last corner is, or 23 or whatever, like 800 corners at Coda, but whatever that last two corners, there's the one where IndyCar basically drove and used the whole entire width of the runoff area instead of actually turning like a proper car or a proper turn. Like, what are they going to do there? They're going to put like an eight foot wall or they're going to put up the, the, the wall that orange aid wanted to make, or they're going to do something like what, what the hell are they going to do? And then they'll probably, they'll call a penalty on like the car, long car, if it runs, but they won't call the penalty on Clyde when he messes up. Like, you know, I mean, that's what makes the fact they didn't give the race to Clyde at the Daytona 500 all the more interesting to me, but. You know, the, when when he was right there, right next side by side to McDowell, and you're like, oh, so he is a passing him there, and they could go and put some lights together, and they can go and say the same way. I mean, in the end, it, it worked out because Alio, yeah, he, f- he faded taxes, but Paul Tracy's a douche. It, 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 it worked out that he win that Indy 500 uh, because if Paul Tracy had won Indy 500, he'd, he'd never get fired. Now, at least because he's never won any 500, he's just a horrible person. He's just going to be on limited schedule, so it's probably good. But sorry for the tangent there. But I just like just idiotic things and idiotic people just don't even know. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll go from the stupidity of Kansas and what happened there. Kyle Busch did win the truck race. That's all we're going to say about that. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek continues to lead the points it's either going to be him or ben rhodes who wins a regular season title uh what is it rafael lasard lost his ride uh due to um, funds uh the nice motorsports team after ross chastain showed once again he's literally the only person that could drive a nice motorsports truck and drive it up front whether it's their own vehicles whether it was gms fabricated vehicles um, he's the only one that can drive them. They did a crew chief, a reshuffle with uh, Phil Gould, who should have went to cup with uh, Ross Chastain, but that's beside the point. Uh, we'll be with Carson Hosevar, who's literally the only truck right now that's left in their stable that's competing for a championship. 
the 45, which is going to have Eric Darnell, who's returning after nine years in a major series. At least he's been running late models um, in Wisconsin out in the Midwest, but he's returning. I, I forget which one of his EFAR, whatever the other one is. And then, uh, what is it? Bailey Curry's driving a 44 truck uh, this weekend. And so those three trucks, all that are doing swaps uh, with the crew chiefs there. Uh, so, I mean, that's for some of the smaller teams. Of course, some, um, uh, what's his name? Moffitt was trying to run for truck points and then he declared for Xfinity. So that kind of set the tone for what's going on right now uh, with the uh, Nice Motorsports. And there's a whole bunch of throwbacks. We'll get into that uh, here shortly. Uh, the Gen 7 car, as uh, Josh mentioned earlier at the start of the show, came. Uh, they debuted it with a weird um, little shoot, whatever video conference thing that didn't seem like it was well um, organized. I mean, Shannon Spank looked good, though. That, that was nice. Uh, but um, the they brought out these cars, and, man, they look cool. Uh, I got to say, they did, they did well. I mean, at least Ford and Chevy did. Uh, I don't think there's, they haven't had a two door Camry and since the nineties, I mean, they had that, whatever, I forget what the, it was the Aval, it wasn't the Avalon. I forget what the, um, Solera or Solera. Yeah. The Camry Solara or whatever. That was the last time they had a two door Camry. So it's like, if you're going to, they, so now they're like, David Wilson came out. I was like, this is a TRD Camry. Like, okay. They have a TRD badged Camry that you sell on the for the road and it's a four-door car that's a two-door car i don't care what denny hamlin says that's a coupe because the other two cars are a coupe that's supposed to be a coupe go and make that effing thing you know like but you know the i i like the look of them i mean the mustang for me of course is gonna be the one that that'll always uh, be a mark i wish there was a challenger out there but of course mopar isn't involved anymore but uh, you were your I I like them. I I really am looking forward to seeing what they bring, what they do on the racetrack, in real life. What some of the things that change, uh, with the cars, especially with them kind of being squared up again, instead of having the rear toe and the yaw that's was in there, the side force, you know, with the they went with the lobster whatever the freakazoid cars or whatever the gen 4 era now you're basically reversing back to what amounts to like the late 90s early 2000s type of arrow uh ish kind of things with kind of today's standards but what did you think josh about um what you saw uh with uh ford chevy and toyota and the new Gen 7 cars. Right. Well, with this Gen 7 car, next-gen car, I mean, I think all three of them, they look great, and they look nice. It's uh, really cool to see. Um, but, I mean, the question is ultimately going to be, uh, does it race well? Does it alleviate the issues with the tire wear, with uh, aero push? I mean, none of that is going to go completely away. I mean, we've already learned a lot of stuff over the years, but um, going forward, is it going to be easier to pass? Uh, is it going to be easier to get back and fight for the lead? 
all the stuff that we look for when we race uh, and we watch racing. So, I mean, that's the most important part. And then, you know, there's a, another point brought up, but I think Matt Weaver is like, well, going forward, I mean, if they can attract more manufacturers into the sport, I think that's probably going to be the other point that this car gets judged on is if they can grow the, the series, you know, from more than three manufacturers, you know, if they can get, you know, Dodge, like you said, or Mopar, uh, back into the sport or if they get another brand new manufacturer like like honda who's been rumored for several years to get into nascar but they've never made the move or you know maybe like uh some other manufacturer like bmw or something like that uh, maybe they can make a entry into nascar because um, i think it's going to be a lot easier to get into the sport now uh, w especially with how they have this uh, vendor list set up where they're going to have several uh vendors that are going to be making different parts of the car you have uh delara making radiator uh you know radiator ducts five star making the bodies um different cars M mclaren of course still going to be making the ecu unit and the digital dash um the wheel nights being made by rcr uh, a lot a lot of uh different i mean there's uh, several uh people who've making each uh individual part of uh, the, the race car here so it's it's a spec series but I mean, it can be a good thing if it produces good racing. If it lowers the cost uh, for teams to uh, manufacture stuff, uh, to you know, for teams to operate, and if it grows the series in terms of manufacturers. So that's what I think. Um, I mean, single single wheel nut uh, cars, I guess, with um, the uh, axles, I guess, being you know, single wheel nut on the pit stop. So we're gonna have basically like. Uh, GT style pit stops like you see in sports car racing, uh, like you see uh, in Indy car racing in Formula One, where you know you just have one lug nut there and it comes on and off. I, I think pit stops are going to be a lot quicker now, and and then um, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, focus on uh, fuel strategy. I think with this because they'll have more time to uh, put gas in the car to make up for the fact that uh, these pit stops with the tire changes are going to be a lot shorter. And of course, there's going to be a lot of room for growth down the down the line. Uh, I mean, I can see air jacks being a thing in the uh, next couple of years. They can probably figure out a way to implement that and uh, put that on the car. And then that'll get rid of the the jack man, I guess, as it is right now, and then change it to where you just have an air jack and then basically be like a Indy car, GT car on wheel or on uh, four wheels like like this. I mean, that's basically what it is. It's borrowing concepts from uh, GT, it's borrowing concepts from uh, V8 Supercar. So uh, it's a, a lot of interesting, and we'll just have to wait and see next year and see what it looks like. But I mean, overall, I mean, it's new, it's here, and I mean, it gives us something to look forward to, and we don't have to you know, keep dreading uh, these races where um, it's not good, like we talked about with Kansas, like in all these other tracks that we've seen this year on the schedule. Yeah, and it's going to make it, a uh, challenge to uh, um, figure the simulator time and the, all the different ways that these teams are able to test outside of actually going to test anymore is going to play a key role. And all these manufacturers are working together in their, with their respective teams to all be that one that shows up to Daytona and can put their best foot forward. Um, their, I think the debut of the car is the 500. It says, so I guess, before that, uh, they'll 
probably use the Gen 6 at the the whatever's left of the Clash. If they're going to run it on the Oval, they might as well run it on the Oval and bin everyone. It would be good. I have a demo derby. Uh, or the, you know, and whether uh, they, I mean, in the, they'll have the duels or whatever it is. And uh, I say they're going to be a lot tamer. Uh, this this uh, coming speed week is probably one of the most tame speed weeks for Cup in a long, long time because of the general cost that it is going to have to go and get to this race. They're probably not going to have a big field either. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. I think it's going to be a very uh, tame and, and very, um, uh, you know, quiet 500. Uh, they'll probably damage some cars late in the race, but, you know, I figure a good 90% of that deal is going to be processional. And they, I would think that early in this season, as they're trying to get parts and pieces together, it's going to be a lot less activity. Uh, it's, people are probably going to complain it ain't going to be great. And it's going to be because they're trying to save these cars because there aren't that many. And, you know, that that's part of it. Uh, then I, I mean, it's one thing when you have, you can't drive around anybody. You probably can drive. It'd be raceable, I hope. But we don't know. We honestly do not know. And we won't know until next February. So I guess that's what it is. But they look cool. So. At least that's a plus, you know, at least if your car looks cool, then you have something to drive people who want to go and look at them and watch uh, whether they race any good or not, which has been an issue for decades, um, will be left to a bunch of people that probably don't know what the hell they're doing with that. And then the engineers to go and engineer it into basically V8 supercars uh, for the Cup Series. All right, so I was going through the whole next gen list, all kinds of cool graphics and stuff they had, and how nice that is. Uh, we'll get into the GSP roundup here uh, this week, which will include the MotoGP at the at Hareth, uh last last week, and saw Ducati win. For the first time there in 15 years, uh, there was Jack Miller emotional win for him on uh, his first win for the Ducati factory outfit, first win on in the dry. Uh, and then he bit, beat his teammate Peko Bagnaya for that win there. And so that was a cool deal for the Ducati duo. Um, in regards to the uh, point standings, I'll get them in a second here. I want to go through, see if there's any in um, in Moto2 before I get to the point standings. In Moto2, Joe Roberts finished eighth, and uh, we had a retirement for Cameron Bobier. Or no, yeah, he, yeah he, he retired from the race. It says DNF, but he was a lap down, so I, guess, I don't know what happened there. So Cameron Bobier fell out of the, the race there. And Joe Roberts right now is sixth in points, but he's, uh, what is it, 
38 points back of Remy Gardner, who's been uber consistent. Sam Lowe's is only three points behind Remy. Gardner, the son of uh, former world champion Wayne Gardner, and Raul Fernandez is third. So Marco Bisecchi, Fabio Di Giantonio is fifth. And then uh, Cameron Bobier is 14th in points, two point scoring finishes. He's ahead of a few guys there, so it's not horrible. Uh, he's ahead of guys that have actually been in MotoGP. Siren, who's basically the um, egghead of MotoGP. Um, you know, a bunch of other guys, Lorenzo Baldessari, Lorenzo Dallaporta, uh, some guys that were up there in uh, Moto3 uh, last year. And then you have yeah, Moto E had their first race of uh, their season at the Spanish Grand Prix. And trying to see who they didn't say who on there. Uh, uh, Jordi Torres. Okay. So Jody Torres won. And then you had uh, Alessandro Zacconi. Looks like he finished second there. And then the Dominique Argeter, I can't pronounce his name, so I probably shouldn't. Uh, he finished on the podium there, too. And I'm going through this right here. Yeah, nobody knows who that is. I think people are so screwing. Oh, gas gas is in Moto3. Look at that. Uh, they were in Supercross with uh, Bam Bam uh, Barsha. This year, and then they're running in the smaller class. Uh, MotoGP: Jack Miller, Peco Bagnaia, Franco Morbidelli, the podium. After, yeah, and then the uh, Taka Nakagami, and for LCR finished fourth. Joanne Mir, uh, defending world champion, and fifth. Alex Chispargro, Maverick Vinales, Johan Zarco, Mark Marquez finished ninth, and Paul Espargaro, his teammate, finished 10th. Uh, Olivera Brattle, Quattararo, Petrucci, Ikerlacuona, uh round out the points. Valentino Rossi uh, does not score points, but finished the race. Um, yeah, Alex, yeah, it's joining me here. And he had Alex Marquez crashed on the first lap. Ania Bastaini retired. Brad Bender crashed. Yeah, so that's a tough one there for the doctor. Struggling the end of his career there. Bagnaya, super consistent. No wins yet, but he's a points leader over Quattararo, who has two wins, a fifth, and then he had a 13th place finish. Uh, as I said on Sunday, Vinales is... 16 points back, Mir, 17 points back, Zarco, 18 points back. Jack Miller inserts himself into the uh, title race on the edge there with his first win after two ninth-place finishes in a non-point scoring event at Portugal. Espargro, Morbidelli, Rins, Binder are the top 10. Uh, Mark Marquez is 15th in points after missing the first two races of the season there. So they'll be running this weekend. They'll be racing this weekend. Uh, or not this weekend. They'll be racing next weekend. Sorry. I was looking at it. So 
I looked at it wrong. Uh, the supercars will be at the bend uh, this week as a fill in a replacement. So that's their one of their new circuits in um, Australia. And uh, it'll be the battle of the team, what was Red Bull, or the Red Bull Triple A team uh, against the Andretti Walkinshaw United team. And it's basically can Jamie Wincup win in his fight, win a championship in his final year of his career before he takes over the team, or will Shane Van Gisbergen add to his legacy now that his main title rival and competitors driving an indie car here uh chaz monster gonna have a little say about that djr is trying to make some momentum up with their combination of anton de pasquale and davison and then uh you have the uh ford the the tickford team with cam waters and that crew they got some solid drivers there so we'll see what happens at the bend if ford can finally put some put a fight up to the uh holden teams formula e will be at monaco as a precursor to the actual formula one monaco grand prix will happen on the 16th or or the 23rd actually instead of the on memorial day uh weekend itself as it has been for many years so formula e after the farcical uh end of the uh race uh last race at uh what is it in in spain I, that's something that they want to probably avoid uh with the 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 nonsense they've updated the regulations it says they'll reduction limits modified by fifth safety car period yeah so Lack of heavy braking zones, yes, yeah, so they couldn't regenerate. So now will be made no energy reduction will be made beyond a new 40 minute cutoff for the 40 minute, five minute times plus one lap race timer. Mm. So I guess they're trying to, yeah, they're going to use a full Grand Prix circuit, so that's good too. So it won't even be the, it won't be the modified circuit like they had the last time. Uh, We'll see about how that goes and if they 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 have issues as it is kind of trying to get people into it. Um their announcer, lead announcer sucks too. That's probably part of it. But um we'll see how it goes. Monaco is a track that suits these cars a lot better than Valencia. Um hopefully the old the problems of running out of electricity will actually not be an issue for the rest of the year. Um, the Formula Three at Catalonia, Catalonia will start the first race of their season. First, the seven rounds of their championship. We'll um see two Americans, uh, going and racing here, and we'll have Jack Crawford, who's racing for High Tech and Red Bull, and then the returning Juan Manuel Correa who's, uh, you know, he was um, involved a year and a half ago in a crash, seriously hurt at Spa, which saw um, Antoine Hubert lose his life. And so it's been a tough road for him on so many levels. Juan Manuel Correa 
to make a return when they were doing the um, esports last year. He was racing with one foot, so I mean one leg, and he was doing things like with one hand, one leg, or whatever it is. And now he's back, and uh, he's gonna give it a shot for ART in the Formula Three Championship. So those are the two American hopefuls this year. And uh, it would be nice to see one or both of them contend. Uh, there's a lot of tough drivers in that series, same way as it was last year. Uh, but we'll find out what's going on there um, as the season goes on. Go and check out Formula One if you have F1 TV, whatever. They have all these races. It's it's great racing, very tight, very close uh, uh, battles for sure in the Formula Three championship. It's a lot tighter. Uh, than even Formula 2 is at this point. And Formula 2 last year was pretty good, and it had gotten tighter, but it's starting to spread out a little bit. Uh, we'll um, go from the roundup to football. And uh, before I get to talk about uh, the moment of relief that I had uh, about 20 minutes before that or whatever it was, uh, Josh got to celebrate having a quarterback for the first time in a long time or ever. Um, what did you take away or think about the first round or in general, uh, Urban Meyer and Trent Balky's first draft? I mean, he did draft somebody with an ACL, so that is a Trent Balky move. Uh, but he didn't. He drafted Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, so he has the quarterback and the running back uh, to set the tone for this uh, Urban Meyer spread that they're going to be running here this year. Uh, what did you think about your draft uh, this year, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars draft? Well, for this draft, I mean, obviously, Trevor Lawrence, that's the that's the pick. And, I mean, they weren't going to pick anybody else. Um, and glad that it's finally over and we have him. I mean, I'm even more glad that it seems like he likes Jacksonville so far and looks like this is going to fit in pretty nicely uh, in the city and also, you know, on the team as well. But as far as the other picks, uh, you know, at 25, you know, we talked about it before, like maybe they go defense, get defensive tackle or something like that. And they went and picked the running back. They got Travis Etienne. So it's a reunion with uh, Trevor Lawrence and Etienne. They're going from Clemson and being on the same team, drafted in the same round. Uh, in the NFL, so uh, they needed an explosive player on offense, and Travis Etienne, you know, he can take you know any ball and go for a touchdown, whether it's receiving or a rush. Uh, he's definitely an explosive player, and I don't think it changes like with James Robinson in the backfield. You know, I think James Robinson is a good running back, and I think still is the starter as of now. But they need somebody that can. Uh, get not get tackled uh 20 yards down the field because james robinson isn't that fast but i mean he just has really good ability to uh read the uh you know offensive line and and get through holes and stuff but etn definitely can take the ball down the field and get touchdowns so that's what the type of player that they needed uh and then in second round they went cornerback and i mean obviously this guy tyson campbell has had injuries but i mean they a lot of people liked him coming out of the um the draft i mean even though he was hurt uh still still though the injury stuff is a question and i mean he had, he's a long physical corner he's got smooth uh transitions 
I mean, they just need to figure out a way for him to get turnovers. So uh, we'll see how he performs and and uh, where exactly he's going to fit into the uh, Jacksonville defensive scheme on defense as a, a cornerback. And then they went offensive tackle in the second round, and that was a, a little questionable. Uh, I wasn't sure what they should do there, but I mean, I, I guess he's going to be either right tackle or they might put him at uh, left tackle. We'll see, but it, that that could work out eventually, and maybe he ends up replacing uh, Cam Robinson, who's uh, the starting left tackle right now on the franchise tag. Maybe they do that. So um, definitely a, a guy that I wouldn't have expected going in the second round, though. So um, maybe in a few years we'll see what, what he does. But after that, I mean, they went uh, defense, uh, and they went safety, defensive tackle, defensive end, and then tight end, and then wide receiver to end the draft. Uh, so I think it was a really solid draft for Jacksonville. Uh, a lot of good pieces to play around with and uh, get, you know, fit into the team. So uh, really excited to see what these players can do um, and how they're going to be able to produce. Um, but, you know, for you, I mean, I'm just glad that you ended up saying a 49ers fan and that they drafted Trey Lance. I mean, I, I didn't think they'd actually draft Mac Jones, but they ended up getting Trey Lance. And I, I will say uh, I had a, a friend who uh, said that Trey Lance would, would be uh, the guy at three. And then he also got uh, the pick for uh, Najee Harris, right? And uh, there was another player um, that he got picked correctly and ended up winning money. I did not help, but uh, it was nice to know that a friend made some money off of that. But, I mean, just glad that you're a 49ers fan still. Yeah, I'm glad to. As much as I do love the Bills and would have been glad to join the Mafia, mainly because Josh Allen is a beast. Uh, the Niners have their Josh Allen now. And uh, for the first time since, I think, Jeff Garcia and maybe a little bit of time with Cap, I honestly feel like the Niners have a chance to have a top 10 quarterback in this league uh, with time. And the fact that Garoppolo, if he can stay upright, is a winner. And now they have a more they have a solidified offensive line is is a positive. Uh, I think Jimmy will be motivated in general after all that's gone on. Um, you know uh, yeah, I mean the the fact that they they were able to get this kid, I, I, I was I was excited. I wanted uh Trey Lance, I saw video and I'm like, I saw, he just saw tape, a video, say, so I saw tape and how good he was. And they, and it's, it's a choice that to me, for what Kyle Shanahan is, this is his move to be like, you know, my dad's a Hall of Famer and he was able to work with great quarterbacks and build some quarterbacks and all that. But he did his best work with, John Elway and Steve Young. And Kyle Shanahan did some of his best work with Robert Griffin III for that one year. And he's had a lot of quarterbacks, but he's never really had a steady presence. And now you have this young gun who's really smart, really talented, and you're going to build this offense around him, and you're going to be able to start you know, signing the key pieces around him. 
because of the money save that you're going to have once Jimmy um, eventually uh, gets traded or leaves or whatever. And you're going to have a chance to really start something here and might be able to finally bring the, the hardware back to Santa Clara, uh, get that six Lombardi trophy. It was, I mean, just the amount of relief, the excitement, the happiness, the way that Trey Lance carries himself, too, it's just cool. To be 20 years old, only going to be 21 years, just turned 21 in a few days or whatever, and he just carries himself. He just is like the right guy. You know, the way that Jacksonville got their guy, Niners did too. And so, I mean, Zach Wilson went second. Most people were talking about the fact that his mom's a MILF, you know, and that he looks like Zach Morris. One of my best friends who just got married a couple days ago was singing the Saved by the Bell song every chance he could get, you know, because he's a Jets fan. And all. I mean, so in the end, you have three guys, top three picks, all in their own right, probably were well received by their particular fan bases. But um, the fact of the matter is the Niners made the right choice there. Uh, Justin Fields ended up slipping, but the Chicago Bears got him. That was a big call there. Uh, Matt Nagy and uh, Ryan Pace, they're probably, probably trying to save their ass. So that was a way to go. And I say, well, we fucked up once, but we went and put ourselves in a position and they got Dave Gettleman to actually trade back, which is something, which is a novel concept. Um, Mac Jones goes to the Evil Empire, um, which makes sense. Uh, I don't. I honestly don't know what's going to happen there. It's not like they really got like amazing skill position. Like they've made improvements in free agency. I get it, and they think Mac Jones is probably going to be the guy. Uh, even if you're Cam Newton person, probably going to be Mac Jones, which is going to be hilarious when you have Cam Newton sitting there wearing his his scarf and whatever other has his hand his his man purse out and then doing his nails or whatever the hell he's going to be doing. He's not even going to be paying attention. That'll be great team morale and for Belichick to have to talk about, but that's something we'll find out there. I mean, in general, first round was not anything crazy. I think the Raiders reached, but then it's the Raiders. You had, it sounded like Minnesota may have wanted Justin Fields, but who knows? Uh, I think it's, it's uh, the, the, you really don't know. It takes three to five years in the grand scheme of things to go and uh, explain or understand what every what you really have. Um, the like going like I go off on a couple of things here, but it was finished with the Niners. They drafted a guard because the guard position has definitely been a problem for them, not only injury rise, but in productivity. So they get Aaron Banks out of Notre Dame. That offensive line they blocked for Ian Book and did a lot of work there. Trey Sermon out of Ohio State to have him behind Mostert and Wilson, all of them with injuries, but uh, they they wanted him. They know that he's probably a little more durable, but uh, and that's kind of why they probably want to take him. The got Ambry Thomas out of Michigan, who's a corner. Um, so they trying to go and solidify that behind Verrett and E-Man uh, trying to go and get themselves another player in the secondary against, you know, the Rams with with the Matthew Stafford. Yeah, 
the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray and, of course, Russell Wilson and Seattle. So you need to have secondary help. Then they went and drafted Jalen Moore out of Western Michigan, Project Tackle, and they're trying to go and they might have him as a hybrid guy that might be able to play inside, which would be good for depth purposes. Uh, then they get Dium Lenore. I'm not even trying to pronounce his first name. Lenore out of Oregon, the corner. Um, durability, a uh, guy who's going to be a, 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 a depth guy there. And then this first pick, I mean, it's worth a risk when all the players are broken. College. So Tal, Talanoa, Hafanga out of USC, who's got, you know, the, who's got a chance to get a roster spot and then possibly come in later on. Uh, in the next year, probably in 22, uh, to play. But he's a guy that seems has, he has that. He, he reminds some with some of his playing style, like a Paul Amalu. Of course, he's a Hall of Famer and a great player, but hopefully he can play like that. That'd be nice. Tough guy. Um, and they got another running back in Elijah Mitchell. So, frankly, I think he's a kick returner. I think that's why they got him. Uh, for the return game, uh, special teams. So we'll we'll see what what ends up with that. Oh, look at that! Look at oh yeah. I was just looking at uh, Laura Rutledge there. So sorry. Um, yeah, we'll go from that. I mean, did you? Was there anything that you you saw or you took away from the draft that was kind of crazy? You saw it was like really bad or like bad draft in general or. Did you just kind of were you more focused just on Jacksonville and you're just happy with what they brought home and what you're going to look forward to here this year and Urban Meyer's first year in the pros? Well, I mean, I think for for me, yeah, I was mostly focused on Jacksonville, but, you know, in the top 10, I mean, I think initially on day one, the Cincinnati Bengals taking a wide receiver top five, they get uh, Joe Burrow's uh, former LSU teammate, uh, Jamar Chase uh, in the fifth round or the fifth pick of the draft. And on, on the first day, that seemed very questionable because the uh, Bengals offensive line is very bad right now. And Joe Burrow needs a lot of protection so that he doesn't get hurt. But then at the same time, they ended up getting a, a draft or they ended up getting a tackle on day two. So it kind of works out. So they get the wide receiver uh, that they probably need to replace uh, A.J. Green. And then they also get uh, offensive tackle on day two that can uh, help protect uh, Joe Burrow there. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I think the other one that I thought wasn't I wasn't sure about was uh, the Giants trading uh, to get uh, Kadarius Toney. Uh, I wasn't sure about that. I thought maybe he was a second round player uh, in the in the right fit, uh, and then maybe a first round player. But it would have to be on a team that could take a luxury on the type of player that he is. So I thought that wasn't a really good pick where they picked him, and especially with uh, the way the Giants are as a team right now. Um, I mean, maybe maybe a playoff team picking him in in the top twenty five or uh, you know the twenty five to thirty two range. Maybe that could have been a a, a fit for uh, Kadarius Tony, but he's going to be on the Giants, and and especially him being their first pick in the draft uh, that they made. 
uh, for this draft. I think that was probably not a good look either, but uh, nonetheless, it all happened. But definitely excited for the season and uh, what Trevor Lawrence is going to bring to the table down in Jacksonville. Yeah, hopes are high. You guys have you have the face now, you have the hair, and you have a running back too. You have a two-headed monster in the in the league where you need to have two guys really, or in the case of San Francisco, four guys uh, to go and run out there. You have some good talent on the outside. We'll see what happens there with Jacksonville. Just a few years removed from probably should have beat the New England Patriots in an AFC championship game. So fact is new times ahead for them, for your Jacksonville Jaguars, new days ahead for the 49ers. Of course, the number one choice will be um, on the bench, at least initially. Um, Hopefully it's based on just, you know, you'll have minimum, you'll have a small package of plays, you know, like tricks and, you know, trying to do bootleg kind of deals and kind of go and spread the offense out a little bit with Trey Lance and utilize his athleticism uh, to as a rookie and then see how it goes uh, in 2022. The last thing we'll do, last part will be the uh, throwback weekend. It's a, a lot of schemes. Uh, a lot of stuff. Corey LaJoy came out after running the last few weeks running maggot um, type related cars. Uh, he ran a, he's running a Xerox car. They use the Allen Quickie shop, Spire Motorsports. So it only is right that uh, they're running a Xerox car. And uh, so that got to give him credit where credit's due, uh, stacking pennies. But um, at least he has a cool throwback. Um, there's a lot of them. Gosh, um, I guess can go through what was uh, what are a couple of your favorites for or at least one out of all three series. If you have two, that's fine. And then who do you think missed with their um, uh, uh, throwbacks? Well, I think for me, the throwback that I liked the most was William Byron's uh, throwback to uh, Neil Bonnet with the Valvoline car. I mean, I, I think when they actually matched the number to the original scheme, I really like that. And the way that they did uh, that design with the Valvoline uh, logos, the Valvoline scheme, and then the the number, I mean, they, they actually changed the numbers. This is probably like the first time ever in a, a long time where the 24 on the Hendrick Motorsports 24 wasn't the normal uh, font that we've gotten used to since the day of Jeff Gordon. And so that that was the like one of the first ones that really stood out to me in the Cup Series. Uh, I think maybe in another one in the Cup Series is uh, Ross Chastain's uh, throwback to Jimmy Spencer from 1993, and the same thing there. Actually, they, that's Hutch yeah. Strickland was 93. Oh yeah, 90, but it is yeah. similar to the to the Jimmy Spencer one in 94. Yeah, that's true. And also, yeah that that was also one where they matched the number to the original scheme. So when they, when they make the the whole scheme look like the actual scheme that was run and they keep the sponsor that's what really stands out to me um that's something that you know they're if they're able to pull that off um they're able to do it and it makes it look original and i guess in the xfinity series uh i guess the car that stood out to me here was probably i mean a lot of these ones are a little corny but i mean i'm gonna go with 
you know, the homer here in junior motorsports, um, you know, the throwback to Dale Jr.'s win in 2001 Pepsi 400 with uh, Josh Berry. I mean, obviously they have to not make it look like the eight car because of the you know copyright issues with Dale Earnhardt Incorporated and Teresa Earnhardt, but still, I mean, they're able to take uh, elements from that car and throw back to it. So I thought that was pretty original as well. Uh, I mean, another car here, uh, I mean, going again back to junior motorsports, the throwback to uh, Daryl Waltrip's uh, 1979 car with Gatorade. And again, they're able to keep the same logos for the most part. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then in the truck series, uh, scrolling down here. Uh, oh, yeah. And another one I want to talk about in the Xfinity series, uh, Brandon Brown, the 2002 UPS car with Dale Jarrett. Now, that 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 was a, a real throwback there, too. I mean, they they really went and put a lot of effort into that. So that's that's one that I like, too. And you know, he's a, he's definitely an underdog and uh, definitely a guy that can compete for a playoff spot. So definitely look for him to be a, you know, top 15 run, maybe a top 10, depending on how tire wear goes and how their strategy goes. So we'll probably see that car up front uh, a lot or close to the front a lot during the race for the Xfinity series on Saturday. And then in trucks, uh, I mean, the, the throwback to uh, Ron Horner Day Jr., number six, I mean, it's basically the Kevin Harvick scheme that was run from 2003 until 2006, uh, end of 2006 with the uh, Jim Goodrich there. Um, and then they copied it over to the truck with Ron Horner today and uh, with Matt Craft in there. And then they throw it back this year with uh, Chris Wright and the Zero Two car. I mean, that's an excellent design there. And they, you know, again, keeping the concept all, all the way through the, the scheme. I mean, I really like that. And I mean, I, I'll talk about another one real quick um one that i will say i had maybe missed is the Derek kraus number 19 uh napa car that's a throwback to michael waltrip's uh 2003 car i mean it's mostly the same i mean obviously with napa but the one thing uh that i guess is different is the e-stripe and it's the e-stripe is actually to, to me looks like it's taken from the 2004 iteration of that uh where it was a little bit shorter it looks like they've uh, taking that design because obviously, I mean, the, you know, the copyright issues and stuff and the, you know, the eyes are really, uh, uh, iffy about that. So they had to kind of go from the old design or from a different design and then, and then say it was the, uh, previous one from 2003. So a little bit interesting there, but, uh, it doesn't quite fit, I guess, cause it doesn't feel like a throwback, but I guess they are trying to throw back to, uh, that 2003 car, uh, from, uh, Michael Waltrip. But, I mean, those are, yeah, definitely some of the schemes that uh, I definitely stood out to me or, you know, I thought maybe could have been improved. Um, what about you? Yeah, for me, there's a few I I liked. I mean, my personal bias aside, uh, I like the Chase Briscoe, uh, AJ Foyt tribute. Uh, honestly, that was uh, nice. Uh, they got the colors right. They got the... It kind of mel melded the sponsorship with the lettering, uh, the helmet. I think the helmet is really what puts it over the top for Chase. That's a track that you know last year came back after you know the issues with the the miscarriage with the Marissa goes there and he's crying for the last sixty laps of the race, whatever the heck it was, and he somehow won, beat Kyle Busch. I like the. Dick Johnson throwback for James Davison, honestly, because it just allowed me, uh, it allowed me a reason after 
Davison posted it himself, videos of Dick Johnson running off the track and dropping an F-bomb or S-bomb and making Bob Jenkins lose it. Uh, Then he's sitting there chatting on top of the tires and talking to them. Like, they were loving the – like, that's cool. I mean, it's not the accurate, but, but, you know, like the the fonts and all that. Like, that's kind of cool. For a car that's going to run 30th, I mean, it's actually a pretty good one. I mean, Gibbs usually mails it in. Uh, I mean, it's random that you're using Slick Johnson, but whatever. It's it's accurate with the colors that they're using for sport clips or whatever. You can't really – at least Denny Hamlin generally tries. The 18 never tries, and Mar- most of the time doesn't try. And Martin Truex mails it in most of the time too, which is annoying. Uh, like, I mean, for me as a – you know, for what I did to, you know, finish my uh, college career as a, uh, you know, one of the uh, the reports I had to write for my final paper as a diversity in motorsports. And one piece of that is definitely uh, Wendell Scott and uh, the Wendell Scott car with uh, Bubba Wallace here. He ran a Wendell Scott truck and won at Martinsville a few years ago. I mean, there's a there's a lot of good ones. There's some real, you know, reaches there. You know, like the the well, priest to Trent Owens. It made me remember that Trent Owens drove. I, I didn't know he did. Um, Eric Jones throwing back to John Andretti's uh, last Cup win. Uh, that's cool. Uh, the uh, the O Richard car is one of the stupidest throwbacks i've ever seen because it's not a throwback at all uh i don't know how you can say it is but uh just because it has tide on it doesn't make it the 32 tide ride that ricky craven won at darlington with uh, alex bowman's car being a greg ives tribute is it's kind of goofy looking but hey you know the the lenny pond special for josh balicki is pretty cool too there's some good ones there uh, in terms of the Xfinity, yeah, Net for as bad as he is as a driver, uh, he usually does good throw throwbacks. Uh, Ryan Vargas running a Mark Martin Mobile One, I mean, Mo- sorry, Valvoline scheme. I mean, Joe Graff Jr. for a guy that's probably going to put it in the fence, having a Back to the Future car actually that's unique. So, uh, you Josh mentioned about the. Junior Motorsports team, and you got Allgaier with the 2000 Daytona 500 uh, throwback, uh, the Tasmanian Devil throwback there for um, Justin Allgaier with ice cream on there. Uh, you had Ward Burton. They're saying it's 10, 20, it's from his first win for Jeb Burton, and uh, they got the wrong body style, they got the wrong picture. And it's definitely not the incorrect paint scheme. So I don't know what the heck they're on, but whatever. Um, Brett Griffin probably approved it, so that might explain why. Um, and going through AJ Allmendinger throwing back to yourself is kind of you know douchey, uh, but whatever. Uh, I you know I'll I'll always be a mark for the Alabama gang. So Daniel Hemrick going and throwing back to Red Farmer, cool looking car. I mean it says. That Jeb is running, I mean, Harrison's running something that his dad drove. I guess, okay, all right. I, it's that, um, it's the, uh, 
the Holiday Inn car, right? Yeah, is Holiday Inn. Is? Yeah, yeah from 2007. That's that's a reach. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's another mail-in by Gibbs, like you said earlier. Yeah, they don't they don't generally do a good job with this, so I mean it's not shocking. Uh, I like the Brandon Godovic car because it looks like the Hot Wheels. It's that's cool. Um, wow, Alex LeBay throwing back to Kenny Wallace when he was actually relevant, um, and not a waterhead who just says. Well, I think he was always a waterhead, but it was just like now he just says blatantly racist and ignorant crap. Uh, but the Red Dog beer car was cool back in its day, so credit to Alex LeBay there and that DGM crew. Tammy Joe Martin's driving the the ten ten three four five car. Uh, Richard Petty throwback, whatever for uh, Weatherman. You know, run like how Richard Petty ran from 1985 through 1992. Uh, the underrated scheme, I think, of the entire, I think, for a lot of these, all three races, is the Jade Buford Big Machine Records uh, Hot Wheels car. Of course, it would look way better on a Plymouth, but they don't have that here. The AAR, uh, it'll be a Chevy this weekend. It looks badass. Um, Jeremy Clements also did a UPS car. Yeah, Ty Gibbs mail in. Uh, David Starr running a Richie Evans tribute, uh, which will be nice. And you have Timmy Hill, uh, who uh, the this the throwback the one he has for the Xfinity series is like whatever his truck throwback to Kenny Irwin was definitely on point. I agree with you, Josh, on the UPS car for Brandon Brown. Um, you know, the BJ McLeod running a 1985 Ken Schrader, Junie Donlevy throwback is pretty unique and pretty cool. Uh, you got to give Josh Williams credit for in her originality <laughs> on that car uh, for sure. It's a good thing that they have wraps now because that wouldn't have been possible in the paint days. And then you have Riley Herbst, who's going to go and destroy a uh, throwback to um, Tony's rookie year on um, Saturday. I saw Timmy Hill there at the trucks. Uh, you have like freezing and doing a whatever Richmond where you should just go with the white numbers. I, I forget who said that, but just go with the white numbers. Uh, hosts of our running a Johnny Benson Jr. Throwback. Former Truck Series champion, um, you know Kenji. Uh, the Kenji Momoto one is nice. Uh, yeah, the Rackley roofing Timothy Peters throwing back to his mentor uh, Bobby Hamilton, who in the Square D truck. A lot of the GMS tru trucks they have throwbacks to um, Alabama Gang and whatever, and uh, Purdy with uh, Davy Allison truck uh, there and then or legendary people with in the case of glenn wood for the 21 of zane smith you have a jack sprague tribute there you have freaking jordan anderson throwing back to uh, mark martin and uh his future father-in-law larry mac reynolds uh, the gms number two looks like the old asc car quest truck 
you mentioned Chris Wright. Yeah, so that's that right there. So let's get into picks for this weekend. Who do you look at to be a uh, favorite to win this weekend and somebody who you think is a dark horse for this weekend's uh, good year, 400, and then kind of do the same in regards to Xfinity and trucks? Well, I think for Darlington here this weekend, I mean, I, th- I think in Cup, uh, I'm going to go with Martin Truex Jr. I mean, he's won at Darlington before and definitely has dominated uh, in the past, and I think he's going to win another race, and it's going to suck because he has the uh, half-ass throwback car uh, like he does every year, like Gibbs does every year, and, and unfortunately, because uh, it's that, it's going to suck. So I think Martin Jurex wins this race. Then maybe a dark horse guy. Uh, I'm going to go with, I mean, he's not really a dark horse, but I'm going to go with Tyler Reddick. I, I feel like this track uh, definitely uh, fits him. It's another, you know, driver's type track where, you know, it fits his driving style of having to ride the fence on both sides. Uh, it's going to be a lot of uh, tire management, a lot of tire wear. So I, I think uh, Tyler Reddick is going to be a guy to look out for. And then in the Xfinity series, um, I'm going to, I mean, just going to keep going with the the hot hand and go with uh, Austin Sindrick winning this race. I you know, really don't see any other driver that does. And I'm just going to keep throwing the dart at Austin Sindrick because he always wins in this series. Uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, I mentioned him earlier with his paint scheme, with the UPS paint scheme, but I'm going to go with Brandon Brown being a, a dark horse here. I mean, I, like I said, I, I think he, he can get a top 10 at this track. This is a track that definitely fits him. He's you know, definitely a, a hard charger. He's a, a definitely you know, a grinder type of driver. So uh, I think you know, at the end of the day, you might see him like, try to pull out some strategy to get uh, you know, a stage win or you know, better stage finish for him and definitely get a, a, another result and you know, put that nice uh, UPS-themed, uh, Dale Jarrett-themed uh, 68 car up in the top 10. And uh, then in the truck series, uh, I'll go with uh, Sheldon Creed. Uh, again, you know he's won at Darlington in the past. Also, uh, I think uh, I think it's time for him to win a race uh, in the Truck Series this year, and definitely uh, needs an opportunity to win. And I mean, I think for uh, Wild Card here in the Truck Series, I mean, so it's, it's a little bit tougher. But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Ryan Truex in in that car. I mean, they've They've definitely had some tough results to start the season, um, but he's kind of a reliable driver, at least in the truck series. They definitely know how to get uh, solid finishes, and he's definitely a guy that when when he has the car under him, definitely can perform uh, as expected. So I'm going to go with uh, Ryan Truex as a wild card in the truck series. All right, all good picks there. I will uh, follow in regards to Cup. Who do I look at to win? Um, I'll go with Kevin Harvick. Uh, Kevin Harvick won the spring race on the return from pan or during the pandemic and dominated. And he has a lot. He has track position early too, and so he only got good pit selection. Uh, so if he has a decent car, at least he'll be able to stay up there. Uh, dark horse wild card pick. 
Eric Jones because he's done really, really well at Darlington over the years. Uh, of course, I was in Gibbs equipment, so we'll see what he can do in the John Andretti STP car on Sunday. But he has a really high average uh, finish uh, relative to what um, you would think uh, compared to his car that he's in right now. Um, for the uh, Xfinity race, I look at to win. I, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb. I'll go and pick Daniel Hemrick. Uh, the Gibbs cars were up front. Uh, what is it? The, I think Brock Shot Jones won last year in the uh, late after wall banging and door slamming uh, whoever he was racing there in the September race in the Robert Huffman tribute. So Daniel Hemrick, this is his kind of racetrack. It's an opportunity for him to finally get that win, get over the get over the hump there. Um, in regards to a wild card choice. Um, hmm. Wild card pick to go and win uh, this race or contend in this race. Yeah, you picked. You picked uh, uh, um, the 68. Yeah, I think right, in right. this case, uh, you know, the way Ryan Sieg's running this year, I, I think he would he would fall into that uh, category um, because he ran well uh, last year at Darlington, and it's he needs something to happen. Ryan Sieg right now is seventeenth in points, so yeah, he's outside of the top, well outside the top twelve. Uh, he's giving up it looks like 60 points right now he's got a so he needs a win that's literally where he's at uh he needs a win to make uh, this playoff um because there's right now there's only five five full-time drivers that have a win out of uh, the regular so if he can get a win, I'll block him in the playoffs and he'll be able to R and D the rest of the regular season. Uh the uh truck series. I'm I'm just gonna go chalk. I'll just go John Hunter Nemechek. Um I think that's uh the safest bet. Um it's not the most sexy pick, but you know, it's what uh you figure will happen based on the kind of trucks the uh Kyle Busch Motorsports team has. And for a wild card, I think a wild card would be, it would be a stretch in some of these cases. I think I'll go with Tanner Gray, not because he's done much of anything all year, but I think it's an opportunity race to go and put yourself in a position to get a nice finish out of it, top five, top ten. If things fall the right way, think people going hitting fences, going chasing fences, that might be a way for them to get that. The next part will be Formula One. So, I mean, I guess pick we can pick the podium uh, and then who – 
I, I that would be one question, like your order of the podium, and if any of them will get the pole, whatever, who how that would be, and then secondarily, who of the midfield is going to stand out? Like who's going to be the hierarchy in that sense with the drivers and the teams? Yeah, I'll start out with the podium, and I think Lewis Hamilton is going to win this race. I mean, he's won this race since 2017. He's basically undefeated in uh, Catalonia since 2017 and probably would have been 2016 too if he didn't get into it with uh, Nico Rosberg there on the first lap. But, uh, I mean, so I think that's the only way he loses is if he gets taken out like that with uh, Valtteri Botas or somebody else. Um, but I, I think it'll be Lewis on on the first place and then uh, Max Verstappen in second. And then, I mean, the real question is going to be who's in third. And I'm going to go with uh, Sergio Perez in third. And, you know, I, I think for this race, if Lewis Hamilton – uh, has paced the entire weekend. I think he'll win the race, but if Max Verstappen is at least equal to him or close enough, I think it's going to be a little bit more challenging. And the reason I say that is because the the first race and you know the second race of the year, they they both at at Bahrain and then at Imola, um, Max Verstappen had has speed there at at Bahrain, but they just uh, made mistakes there at the end. And definitely had the faster car. And then at Imola, which is another boring track, uh, it's really hard to pass. Uh, he was pretty dominant there. And this track, uh, Catalonia, um, doesn't really seem uh, that known for overtaking. Uh, you know, it's a pretty boring track. You know, from what you've said. So I'm gonna I'm, would not be surprised if uh, Verstappen, uh, if he has pace, if if he uh, ended up winning. So that's the reason why I say that. And then. Third, like I said, uh, Sergio Perez. I mean, I think uh, he can build off the result from from last week, and then maybe their teams can uh, give him a, a good car just as much as they give a car to uh, Verstappen there. And then I, I think as far as the midfield, uh, I mean, I'm going to go with Ferrari, uh, Leclerc, and uh, Carlos Sainz. I think both of them uh, are due for another good result. I mean, Leclerc is going to be up there, so uh, I think as far as the mid midfield goes, I think they're going to stand out as well. And then, you know, Alpine, uh, they also had a good result last week. Um, and I think they can, you know, with, with both of them being Spanish drivers, I think, you know, well, not, uh, Ocon, but Alonso is Spanish and signs is Spanish. So, I mean, I think for both of them, they probably want to re represent their home country, their home race, uh, pretty well. So, uh, that's what I think about the midfield. Yeah. I'm going to go with, uh, I'll I'll go one up your pick in regards to Checo, and I'll say that Checo flips the script here this weekend. Instead of Max Verstappen being the lead Red Bull guy, uh, Checo goes and puts a qualifying together. He actually has a race, and he goes and wins his second career race at uh, at Catalonia over Hamilton and Verstappen. So pair Ham Ver um, instead of Ham Ver. And uh, and per, so uh, that will be the podium. Uh, I think uh, it'll be uh, Hamilton pole uh, on Saturday, but then Perez with the undercut and everything is able to go and make pace and give himself a chance to uh, win his second career race. In terms of the midfield, uh, 
the curiosity, I think you said Ferrari. I'm I'm gonna go with McLaren, and I'm we're, I'm thinking about Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, when is he gonna show pace? When is he gonna go and pick up his ball? Now that you have uh, Lando performing at such a high level, uh, when is that gonna come? Is it gonna come this weekend, or is he gonna wait till Monaco? What? When is this gonna happen? So um, he qualified 16th last week, so you know that that wasn't ideal. So he's gonna come out and perform. I think McLaren is one team and I'm curious I'm really curious as to what Alpha Tori brings to the table. Can Yuki Sonoda keep it clean? Can Gasly battle through because of the terrible strategy his team gives him on a regular basis to have a chance to get a top six finish or maybe sneak a podium, you know, like something crazy. Um uh, the see here yep so the um it's your time josh in regards to the sim game let us know what you did last week or what you were looking at and where we can find you this week during the uh i whatever the sim racing i racing yeah weekend after they just got done with the gen 7 car on i racing on uh fs1 yeah for the sim stuff i mean Yesterday, I did iRacing uh, NASCAR 1987 at Michigan, and I should have won that race, I'll be honest. Uh, I had good long run pace and ended up, it was a 60-lap race at Michigan and ended up leading 14 laps and took the lead with about like uh, 12 laps to go, 11 laps to go, and then caution came out with like uh, eight or nine laps to go. And I decided to take tires, and that was clearly a mistake because the guy behind me uh, did not take tires, and the first couple guys behind me did not take tires. And I probably shouldn't have because I think uh, I didn't have as good pace on the short runs as I did kind of on the long runs. But, uh, you know, it just didn't work out for me, I guess. But uh, I thought it would be able to, tires would matter, and I'd be able to drive up there and take back the lead uh, relatively quickly with the restart with like five laps to go. But that, didn't work out um you know would have been the first win on the stream for me uh haven't won since uh september uh on the oval side i've done i have won a couple of road races but you know on the oval side any car nascar haven't won since september so it's a little bit of dry spell but you know uh, it was a little bit close there so uh, we'll continue to work through it and then of course with the uh, gen 7 next gen car at darlington uh, on FS1. I mean, that was an interesting race and it, you know, it doesn't really give a preview for what the car is going to look like next year as far as racing goes, but you know, at least you get to kind of see what it theoretically would look like in action. And from that, I mean, it seemed to be good, but you'll have to wait and see what it looks like in real life. And then of course, iRacing went ahead and announced that the car would be available. So all three cars, Ford, Toyota, and Chevy would be available for purchase uh, tonight and I can go and race it as soon as we're done recording this, maybe and do a couple of test laps and see what it feels like uh, at Darlington or one of these other tracks uh, that's not Daytona and Talladega where you, you, know, you have to actually drive the car and see what it feels like. So that's what that'll look like for me um, for sim racing. You know, and then, of course, got the uh, iRacing Indy 500 coming up. So uh, I'm going to have to see when, uh, which time is going to be good for me to race and then uh, do some testing and uh, try that out. Uh, they have this year, they have a 
the open setup like they've had in the past, you know, where you make up your own setup and then uh, now they're also adding in the fixed setup uh, edition, which is going to be next weekend and then the open setup one is going to be the following weekend on the uh, 22nd, 23rd. And this one is going to be the 14th, 15th, and 16th, I think, uh, or, or yeah, the 9th, yeah, 14th, 15th, and 16th for the fixed setup Indy 500. So uh, we'll see which time I can get for that. And then you know, I'll let you know where you can uh, follow uh, for that or you, when you can watch. So uh, should be exciting if, if uh, you know, I'm able to do it. So uh, that's all for the sim, sim segment. You know, as always, you can follow the sim stuff at uh, Twitch TV uh, slash UCLR2. That's where all the sim stuff will be and any other gaming stuff uh, that I decide to uh, show on online. And then I guess we'll transition then into the close. Then as always, you know, you can follow me on uh, social media uh, at Twitter, where I'm usually active uh, at uh, JP Huffine. And again, you know, with the sim stuff, uh, Twitch TV uh, slash UCLR2. Thanks, Josh, as always. Uh, for And definitely check out the stream, the Twitch stream for the Indy cars uh, with the Indy 500. It's going to be uber competitive. I think uh, every year just gets more and more competitive. So, I mean, you tried out, you tried to make the uh, Open Wheels 500, and that was a deep field. So, uh, figure, you know, Jimmy Broadbent lost it when he won his whatever i racing indy 500 so it, it means a lot no matter what it's indy so it's a real battle i'm sure you're gonna be able to put the thing in the show and give us a shot here um here in a couple weeks time but we'll keep in contact and look at that on your t twitch stream tit twitch stream uh i'm not even drinking so how the hell am i gonna go and mess that up but uh yeah, and then we'll also follow you on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Philip G. Matthew. And you can follow us at Gripstrip Pod. Um, also, uh, co host uh, Talking in Circles at Talking Capital N Circles. And then um, you can find the Gripstrip Pod on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn. Um, other places, uh, basically anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find the Ripstrip podcast. And uh, it's also on at uh, philipgmatthew.com. And uh, yeah, with that, we will uh, see you next week for the Ripstrip podcast. It'll be episode number 60. And we will talk about all the events at Darlington, the, the throwback weekend there talk about the formula one race at catalonia see if anything happened probably not um then you have other races you have supercars formula e what the americans did in formula three and uh whatever else comes up uh during the week um also just before we go um want to give our condolences to family of uh bobby unzer we lost a few days ago a legendary racer, uh, a man who won Pikes Peak so many times, won three Indy 500s. I only know him as Uncle Bobby announcing in the booth with Paul Page and him fighting with Sam Posey. Um, and then also what Dinner Earth Racers did with him animating some of his stories, which was hilarious. I watched it again 
last night uh, made me laugh, and uh, it was cool uh, to see uh, Uncle Bobby in that sense uh, for one last time. Also to the family of Eric McClure, um, he's 42 years old, a lot of stuff, of course, going on in his life, a lot of big wrecks he was known for, but uh, lose your life so early. Uh, it was a real shame, and he has seven kids and a wife. So uh, thought uh, condolences to those families at this difficult time. Uh, with that, uh, for Josh, I'm Phil. Uh, thanks for listening to Gripster Podcast. Uh, please like, listen, download, do whatever, and let us know what you want more. And uh, stay safe, uh, social distance. Wear a mask, get your vaccine, so we can get out of this and we can have fun again and do it responsibly. Take care and good night.